All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Precision Rifle Channel podcast. I am here with my good friend, Kalen. Kalen, sir, how are you today? I'm doing well, man. How are you? I'm doing excellent. Excellent. Thank you. So it's literally been like three or four months since we started talking about getting yeah. on the show together, and I'm glad that our schedules finally meshed up so that we can do this today. Yeah, it's uh, things have been getting extremely busy lately, and uh, trying to balance my time and <laughs> make sure that I have time to do things like this is, uh, you know, trying to catch an hour here, hour there, but it's important stuff. And I'm really glad that we were able to link up. Absolutely. So everyone that's not familiar with who you are and what you do, can you give us a rundown of your history, what you're up to now and what's going sure. on with your world? Yeah. So, um, I've, uh, I started, I started shooting precision rifles way like long, long ago when I was 14. I bought my first precision rifle when I was 14, and I don't even know if you'd call it a precision rifle. It was just a hunting rifle. Um, I didn't really come from a background of shooters in my family. I pretty much taught myself how to do it. And um, so I bought a rifle, bought a scope, and uh, read a bunch of books and started reloading my own ammo when I was like 14, 15 years old. Wow. And um, yeah, I just... I bought, I still have the original press that I bought in my, in my reloading room right now. I still use it today. So, um, and, uh, I joined, I joined the Marines, uh, got into the sniper program right off the bat. That was what I wanted to do. And I stuck with that for just shy of 10 years in the, in the Marine Corps. And, um, I had a lot of fun doing it. It was, it was very enjoyable. It was a good time. I learned a tremendous amount. Um, and I learned that I really enjoyed teaching because I taught at a couple of different schools while I was in the Marine Corps and I really did enjoy it. It was something that, um, I enjoyed seeing the light bulb come on for students and watching them absorb the information and then be able to, uh, apply the information. Uh, that was very rewarding. Right. So, um, I got out of the Marines and, uh, moved up here to the Pacific Northwest and started doing, uh, teaching long range shooting or they're kind of like sniper courses for some uh, security companies doing some contract work. And that eventually led me to start my own very small business. And then I started working for Magpul. And I ran um, the precision rifle training division at Magpul. And then I eventually took over um, just op operations at Magpul Core when it was rebranded from Dynamics to Core. And uh, now I own my own training company called Kalinsky Consulting and Training Services. And we do all kinds of crazy stuff. We do um, precision rifle courses that are going to be open to the public again uh, coming in late summer, early fall. So uh, if people are interested in coming out and training with me, I'll be doing it in Washington and throughout the country. Awesome. And um, I teach a lot of law enforcement sniper courses some military courses. And um, like as an example, we just got back yesterday from our first of two sold-out backcountry hunter courses. And, um, that's, that's one of our favorites to teach really. That's a lot of fun. That's a good time. So I pretty much, uh, this is what I do for a living. I teach people how to shoot rifles. That's phenomenal. <clears throat> Excuse me. Your backcountry hunter course. I'm really kind of intrigued by that because I know yesterday you and I were texting back and forth as you were coming off the mountain, but mm -hmm. what does that entail? So we, my, my hunting partner and I, um, he's a guide here in Washington and, um, a very, a very successful one at that. Uh, you guys can find him, uh, his name is Luke Carrick at guide, And, um, 
he and I were sitting on a mountain one day, uh, just freezing our asses off. And we just kind of looked at each other and said, you know, I bet you there's a lot of people out there that would like to learn how to do this, but it's so intimidating to a lot of people to put a backpack on and, um, go into the wilderness for five, six, seven, eight days, or maybe even 10 days. And there's a lot to think about. There's a lot to, to learn, um, everything from the shooting aspect of it, the backpacking aspect of it, and then the hunting part of it. So we kind of created a course that incorporated everything, very compressed timeline. It's five days long. So we spend two days on the rifle range learning uh, shooting skills. Um, and it's basically run what you brung. So, I mean, I could have somebody that's really into shooting, um, and has a f- very firm understanding of, of the fundamentals of marksmanship and, and rifle components and things like that. But they're lacking on the backcountry skills side of the house, like the backpacking, uh, the backcountry hunting. And then I can have guys that show up, like I had, you know, several dudes show up with just straight up Browning X bolts and, Tikas and with hunting scopes and we teach them how to use that equipment to the to the maximum ability right so to its maximum potential and as much as i can in two days and then we uh we load them up we sort out their gear luke gives them a massive gear class it usually takes three two three hours talks about all the equipment we have them lay out all their gear and then um we go through student by student and coach them through what to take, what not to take, how to pack the ruck, and then how to fit it to their body properly, which a lot of people have no idea how to do. And then we head up into the mountains uh, for three days to simulate um, kind of a backcountry hunt. We, we hike in steel for them to shoot. Um, uh, every class is uh, six to eight and sometimes even ten targets that we shoot at. In realistic hunting scenarios, we make them find the targets using techniques observation, um, teach them how to scout, teach them how to glass, uh, teach them a lot of land navigation. It's a, it's a it's a really fun three days. Uh, that's amazing. What does something like that cost? Um, we charge seventeen hundred fifty dollars for that five days. For five days, that's and, a hell of a deal. I mean, you're literally learning three different skill sets. Oh, from yeah masters i mean you you guys are experts at what you do yeah um it's it's a lot of fun man and and students you know students get a lot out of it and it's very gear intensive of course anybody that's done the backcountry hunting thing or backpacking at all it's like you know the initial investment is pretty substantial with regard to, to all the gear um but if you like if you come to us we have packs for you to use we have tents um, sleeping pads, like all of the big ticket items, the stoves, the stuff that costs a lot of money. Um, and we hate seeing students show up with gear that we, that, you know, we know doesn't work and and it's kind of, you know, it doesn't function well. Um, and then, you know, when we first started doing this, we would see that and then they'd learn the hard way and they'd suffer for three days with just a really poor fitting pack or, um, gear that's just really, really heavy, um, and not suitable for that type of environment. And, uh, now we've gotten some help from our sponsors and we have gear for them to use. And it's, uh, it's really, really cool. Like this, this class, we had 
several guys that said, you know what, I want to try a Stone Glacier backpack. And we have a whole fleet of Stone Glacier backpacks that are for them to use. Nice. Um, yeah, so it's it's really it's, – it's, it's come a long ways when, when we started teaching it at Magpul seven years ago. So this course, or to me it's an adventure, seems mm-hmm. like it's um, something that a lot of guys would do. Uh, do you see more and more females getting into it? Yeah, actually, uh, this next class um, that we start off week after this week um, is uh, like a father-daughter uh, combo are coming out. Um, nice. We've had females come through the course um, over the years, uh, but yeah, largely it is a you know a male-dominated. Um, I don't want to maybe not dominate isn't the right word, but predominantly we see males show up, um, but. Uh, you know, the course is obviously it's open to females too. Like it's there, there's lady hunters out there that if they want to learn this stuff, they can come out and learn it with us. That's phenomenal. So if I'm getting ready to go on my bucket list hunt, whether that's in Alaska or Africa or wherever the heck it is, this would be a course I would want to take beforehand to optimize my chances or my ability to be successful. A hundred percent. And even if that hunt's a guided hunt, like maybe you're going on a guided hunt in Alaska or something like that or or Northwest Territory or someplace, wherever. Um, Even though that guide that you're going to go with is going to probably have his or her own way of doing things um, and, and hunting, their own style of hunting, this is going to prepare you for what it's going to be like to have a backpack on your back for a short amount of time and have to move through the mountains. Um, it's not an easy thing to do and it's very challenging to a lot of people. We don't cover a lot of miles, but man, every, every time students come out and they're just like, man, that was that smoke check me. And that's not what we're trying to do, but that's just a product of what happens when you go into the mountains with a backpack on. It's reality. It's reality. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, we, we take them to a shooting location and, uh, maybe the targets are way down in the bottom of the steep Canyon, which is a totally realistic shot. And, you know, you look at them and you say, okay, cool. You guys all shot and hit that target. Now what, now what do you have to do after they've been in the backcountry for two days and they're worn out, they're tired, their feet hurt. Okay, cool. Now you got, you know, if it's a deer, you got 80 pounds of meat to pack out of that hole. Right. And you got to do it fast because it's hot. Um, or if it's an elk, hey, you got an even bigger job now. You know, you've got all this planning and we take them through that whole process. That's awesome. I mean, we, we don't shoot anything and skin it and, and process it, right. but we teach them how without actually having to do it. Right. That, mm-hmm. That's phenomenal. So with that, you're, I mean, you have a very extensive background and – I think it's very fair for anybody who knows you to say that you are quite the adventurer. I mean, mm-hmm. every time I see you or I talk to you, you come, you're coming back from some awesome location or you just jumped out of another plane. Um, is it safe to also say besides being an adventurer, you're a bit of an a adrenaline junkie? I mean, you like yeah. that rush? Um, it's weird because a lot of people do ask that question. Um there's some, it's strange because there's some things, there's some activities that people do that I look at and I say, not only no, but hell no, I'm not doing that. Right. Um, you won't catch me going bungee jumping. Um, you won't catch me doing downhill mountain biking. Um, there's just certain things that I look at and I'm like, nah, no, no, no. Um, 
I, you know, I, I don't want to wreck myself, right? Because right. I, I don't want to injure my, I can't, then I can't work. But when it comes to adventure, adventuring, absolutely, man, I, I, I love it. And it's not really the, uh, it's not really the, um, the adrenaline junkie aspect of it. It's more along the lines of that's really where I think the most clearly is when I'm doing those things and, and participating in those activities, like, like, uh, at a hard hike in the mountains or something, that's very meditative for me. That's where I can think, I just kind of get into my, uh, into like a meditative state and, and I can think really clearly about solving a problem or maybe I'm, maybe I want to be creative. That's a way for me to be creative and kind of separate myself from everything else going on in my world. Um, but as far as like, uh, you know, the, the climbing aspect of it or the skydiving aspect of it, um, you're pretty much in the zone the whole time you're doing that. Like you're, right. you're present 100%. You're not thinking about the bills that you, that you need to pay. You're not thinking about the text message you need to return. You're not thinking about the email, the pile of emails that you have. You're just, you're in the moment right then and there. And that's really why I enjoy those activities. And, that's something that really surprised me about you because you you and I have known each other for a couple of years on an mm-hmm. informal type of basis, I guess. But this past uh, couple of months ago, we spent some time hanging out and talking and shared some of your dinner uh, mm-hmm. in Washington. Yep. And for people that don't know you, and it was kind of an epiphany to me, I guess, is you're actually a very spiritual or zen-like type of attitude person yeah um, uh, which i think is absolutely phenomenal i wasn't like that um a while ago and and really i i have to i I have my wife to thank for that i really do um she she kind of introduced me to that and um it definitely changed the way that i think um in a lot of ways but uh I don't know, man. It's like you start thinking about things and you're just like, you know, I just, all I want to do is I just want to be a good person to, to everybody else and, and do good things and, um, do my best to give back in any way, shape or form because I've been able, I've been really fortunate to be able to do what I love to do and, and get paid for it, you know? Right. And, and that's, I'm very grateful for that. And, and there's people that I have to thank that helped me get here and I just want to be able to return that favor in any way that I can. That's phenomenal. And has that attitude, that life approach, has that changed the way that you compete, the way that you teach military, law enforcement, civilians? Mm-hmm. How has that encompassed your uh, business life, so to speak, your training life? It's <clears throat> so I used to I used to look at competition in a completely different way than I do now. And, um, I was really hard on myself for a long time when it came to competing with a rifle. And, uh, for a long time, I thought that, um, the, the results of how I competed, you know, where I placed, so to speak, would have, um, a direct effect on people's perceptions of my abilities as an instructor. And, you know, that was just a, that was just me sitting in a, a whole lot of bad ego. And I, you know, you got good ego and then you have bad ego. You, good ego is what's going to help you progress. It's going to keep you in check. Uh, it's going to keep you in tune with your capabilities and limitations. Um, 
and it's just going to help you become a better person. Whereas, you know, the bad ego, you know, you take yourself too seriously. You're always beating yourself up. You're, you're never, nothing is ever enough. And you're always chasing something. You're always going after something. And that's something you're never going to get it. It's just, it's probably never going to happen. So, um, I started to look at things and I'm like, you know, why do I really go out and why do I shoot these events? And I shoot these events for several reasons. And really, it, I don't really care about winning them. That like once I made that separation and I said, you know what, I really don't care if I win this. I really don't care how well I place as long as I do well for my own brain and my own, you know, my own goals. That's all that matters to me. Right. Like. I go so that I can stay abreast of what's happening in the community so that way I can communicate the best, most relevant information to my students. Um, because if we're not doing that, then we're doing a disservice to our students as instructors. Like that's absolutely necessary for us to do. And, you know, to be, to stay in touch with the community, like we, we have some fantastic people within this community that, um, that I really, that I do enjoy being around. And, um, I also look at it from the perspective when I go to a different event because I do hunt like the, what I use a rifle for now is to, is to hunt, right. And to be successful on a hunt. So I use those competitions to be able to go to a different location and be able to interpret all those conditions with, you know, the environment, the wind, and to be able to, to continue to hone my capabilities so that I know where I'm, I know exactly where I'm at, what I can do and what I can't do. Because for me, the, like, yeah, if I can't take a responsible and ethical shot at a live critter, then I'm just not going to do it. And that's the other reason I go to these competitions. Um, but it really did change my perception of, um, of the amount of stress that I would put on myself to, to show up to these things and really want to perform well, uh, which, yeah, I think everybody wants to perform well, but, um, it's not the end of the world if you don't, you know, and I, and some people just take it really, really, really seriously and that's fine. That's what they do. And that's just, that's just not what I do. I, I go for a more, um, from a training point of view, right? I want to learn. Nice. So, you have been credited with helping several shooters, several friend, mutual friends of ours into getting them to the level that they're at with a precision rifle or with a rifle. Mm -hmm. Now, if you and I were at a match and we were shooting side by side, squatted up together, um, and you saw that I was hitting that mental block, I was just super frustrated because maybe I only got one or a zero on a stage or whatever. Mm -hmm. What would be the best advice you could give me as a competitor to refocus or rechannel my, my energy? Um, number one, you're supposed to miss. Like that's like, if you missed, you were supposed to miss. It was, you're supposed to learn from that. And instead of beating yourself up and constantly, you know, um, dragging yourself down mentally, you, you've got to look at it and you just got to change the way you look at it. Like no matter where you're at, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. Okay. So what that means is, Hey, I was supposed to miss those shots. So 
it does me no good to sit there and beat myself up over it. We just need to look at it and say, okay, what can I do next time to prevent that from happening? What can I learn from that experience? And take notes, man. I take notes all the time. Like I write things down. I'm like, Hey, I, um, I, cause I don't want to lose that. I don't want to lose. It's kind of like a dream. You know, if you have a dream and then as soon as you wake up, you forget about it. It's the right. same thing. I, I want to make sure that I write that stuff down. I'm always writing notes in my, if it's not a shooter's book or I have a little notebook that I write things down. Um, and I just, and the main thing is like, be kind to yourself. Like, don't be, you know, if you, if you're cursing yourself out and like, that's just, that's just bringing you down, you know, that's dragging your head down and, and it's not, uh, it's not the right headspace to be in, you, you know, great advice. You just, you're gonna, you, you're gonna miss. And, and if you miss, you were supposed to miss what you do with that miss is totally up to you. Right. right. Whether you whether you let it drag you down or whether whether you look at it and say, oh, yeah, you know what? I did this. I missed that wind call. I forgot to dial the right dope. I got super stressed or I got my mind got confused. You got to be able to dissect all of that, pick it all apart and then, uh, you know, peel back the layers and figure out then, OK, how can we fix that? What right. can we do in the next round? That's awesome. That's awesome. Very solid advice. So when you're out there and you're teaching or you're coaching, um, is it different teaching law enforcement, military, and civilians, or is your curriculum for the most part pretty similar? It's very similar. And the reason that it's very similar is that um, it's all shooting. It's all marksmanship. And it's all, um, it's all skills. And, you know, I – I, I used to carry a rifle in defense of the nation. And so, um, but that was a long time ago and I'm not a hundred percent up on all of the, um, all of the standard operating procedures, right? I'm not here to teach you tactics. I'm not here to teach you, um, TTPs. What I'm here to teach you is skills and those skills are what's going to make you a better shooter. And those skills are, it cross pollinates from civilian law enforcement, military. It's all the same stuff. You're just trying to, you're trying to get that rifle to do what you want it to do when you want it to happen. And that's really what we're, we're trying to teach skills and problem solving. Really. Right. You're, you're just solving problems and the tool that you're using to solve those problems happens to be a rifle. So being in this community for, you know, for the past several years, watching several hundreds of shooters, at matches, what do you see as the most common bad habit, error, whatever you want to call it, that people should really focus on? Um, number one, not understanding what a natural point of aim is um, and being neutral behind the rifle. And okay, explain being neutral behind a rifle. So being neutral behind a rifle, basically what I see is a lot of guys – when we start the aiming process, you start the aiming process by actually looking at the target with your eyeballs, right? With your naked eye. Like right. there's the target that I have to shoot. The next step is to orient the rifle to the target. Whether you're shooting from the prone position or you're shooting from a prop or what have you, you got to point the rifle at the target. Right. And if you and if you start that process by just pointing the rifle at the target, that rifle is going to tell you where your body needs to be behind it. 
in order to stay neutral. And what I mean by neutral is, is when you really, when you have a natural point of aim, you're not working nearly as hard to get the rifle pointed at the target. You're relying on your body's structure to point the rifle where you want it to go. Okay. And so is that always going to work in every situation? No, probably not. You know, there's a lot of situations where sometimes you just have to move too fast or you have to, you know, you're only there for a very small amount of time. But that's, in my personal opinion, that's the difference between a novice shooter and an expert shooter. The novice shooter is looking at that still using cognitive thought to solve those problems. Whereas the expert shooter, that's already happening subconsciously. Like when I get behind my rifle, I know I can feel if I'm not neutral behind it, if I'm not square behind it. I can feel if I don't have a natural point of aim almost instantaneously. As soon as I connect myself to the gun, I settle into the shooting position that I think is going to work. And then my brain is automatically going to say, nope, it's not, it's not right just by feel. And then while that's happening for an expert shooter, your, your brain is freed up to be able to think about other things like what's the wind doing? Is the wind doing the same thing that it was when I was watching, you know, observing the conditions through my binos or my spotting scope before it was my turn to shoot? Um, what's the condition of my rifle? Where's my dope at? All those things are the process of your, of your shot. That's where you want your cognitive thought to go to not building a shooting position. The, the shooting position thing, that's fundamentals. That should be happening, you know, automatically, subconsciously. That's where we want to strive to get anyways. See, and that makes a ton of sense because majority of the time when I approach a stage, because I am by far the furthest thing from an expert, but every time I approach a stage, I'm always worried about, my position how am i going to get into position how am i going to build a solid stance Mm -hmm. and everything else it's kind of the reverse of what you said everything else it's like it's going to happen or it's not but how am i going to get into position Um, right and that kind of just like you said that separates the the novice or the amateurs from the experts and pros Mm mm-hmm Yeah, it's just, it's really just how you go about your problem solving process. And largely it's how you were taught to do that. Right. And if, if you were taught how to do it, um, maybe, maybe you were taught by yourself, right. Through your own personal experiences. Um, I'm not saying that you're doing it the wrong way. I'm just saying that there, there are other ways to do it. And that's why people go to training courses. They go to training courses to learn different ways of doing things. Is there a training course for, is there a class or a course that focuses specifically on the mental aspect of shooting? Because every course I've attended has always been on the physical. Yep. We, um, <clears throat> excuse me, since uh, I've been incorporating a lot of that, a lot of that into my training curriculum as I've learned more about it. Um, and I think it's very important because. 80% of shooting is right in between your ears. Right. It's all mental. And staying in a positive mental headspace is so very important to being, uh, to, to have the ability to progress, right? And, and to objectively look at your failures and your successes 
without living in, you know, that, that really crappy, bad ego beating yourself up and, you know, I have to do well or else this, or I have to do, or my sponsors and blah, 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 blah. That's just all noise. That's just all noise that you have to get away from. And because the only way that you're going to progress and do, and do well is through harnessing the power of your own mind. Right. Your mind is extraordinarily powerful. Um, so I've been incorporating quite a bit of that. That's awesome because I know in a lot of other sports like boxing, basketball, golf, they all have – all the top of the top have mental coaches. You know, they have people that help get their their mind right, if, if mm-hmm. that makes any sense. And so the fact that you're incorporating that is actually a class or, a, you know, a conversation I'd love to have, take with you one day. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's going to continue to progress, going to continue to get, to get better. Um, as I learn more about it, um, I like to learn how, uh, it fascinates me, like how the brain learns and how different people absorb information, um, how different people, um, learn how to retain information and then, and then regurgitate or apply that information. It's, it's pretty fascinating. So, um, and I think it's important for people there's there's so many people that don't even consider that part of it. Right. You know, they just want to throw gear at the problem. They throw gear at it. Right. Okay. This is the gear that I need. I need this. I I need this. Nah, man, you really don't. Like you really don't. And if you learn, um, if you learn how to operate this, um, even with what you got, it's like you're going to be surprised at the at the skill level that that you can achieve. Uh, by just focusing on how you interact with the rifle, not the other way around. And that that segues us into another great topic. I mean, the gear race nowadays is just out, outstanding. I mean, not outstanding. It's uh, astronomical. There's mm-hmm. so many different companies coming out with gadgets and this and that. And I'm 100% for innovation that has Mm -hmm. a purpose but what is that line between you know innovation that has a purpose versus a fad or a trend sure um well i think i think a lot of that boils down to um like okay so when i buy a custom rifle what am i buying really at the end of the day i'm buying forgiveness i'm buying forgiveness um so that when i do make a mistake uh, the accuracy or the precision of that weapon is going to help make up for that mistake. Right. So, um, and it's like the same thing with triggers, you know, uh, that's the big thing now, right. Is to go with these super ultra lightweight triggers. Right. What is that doing for you? All that's doing for you is, um, buying you forgiveness with a shitty, nasty trigger press. Like that's all it's doing. And I've it's never the truth. Even looked at. I've never looked at it that way. That is such an awesome outlook. It, it's it's exactly the truth. Like none of my rifles have triggers less than a pound and a half. My competition rifles are a pound and a half, and my my work guns for teaching like LE and and military guys those are three pound triggers. My hunting rifles are three pound triggers. It's a safety factor, right? It's right. it's it's a safety thing, but. Um, doesn't matter if the trigger is three pounds or, you know, 
eight, nine ounces. Like as long as the, as long as you have a, a consistent trigger press, um, and you're applying trigger control properly, it shouldn't matter. But what a, an eight ounce trigger is letting you get away with and still be accurate is slapping the trigger, crushing the trigger, um, smacking it, whatever you want to call it. That's really what it's doing is it's buying you forgiveness. Huh. That, that's awesome. That's actually a really cool way to look at it. And it's, yeah, it's, it's true. Yeah, it's, it's true. And it's like, you know, some people get all up and all up in arms about it. And it's like, Hey, if you look at it really fundamentally for what it is, it's just like, okay, cool. You, you, that's fine. If you want to buy yourself forgiveness, that's awesome. Great. Right. You know, and, and I would imagine uh, that same theory applies to different calibers as well, which is why you yeah. see guys going to smaller, faster calibers. Yeah, you're seeing guys go to smaller, faster calibers because they want to mitigate recoil as much as possible. Right. Um, they want to mitigate recoil as much as possible, and that's fine. That's that's cool. Um, but you're, it's just like hunting. You know, a lot of the hunting students they look at me and they say, "Well, how can I, how can I defeat the wind?" Well, look, dude, you're not going to defeat the wind, but what you can do is buy yourself forgiveness, and that is purchasing or looking for a cartridge that shoots a, a bullet that's giving you forgiveness in the wind. Right. You know, a 308 moving at, you know, at a, a standard 308 with a muzzle velocity of about 2,650 feet a second, 175 grains. That's one, that's for one mile an hour, that's 10 inches of drift at a thousand yards. Huh. Okay. One mile an hour, right? So if you start looking at it in that way, you're like, whoa, okay, that's a lot. Yeah. So that means if I'm shooting at even a 20-inch wide target and I'm holding at the center of that target, if I miss that wind call by a mile an hour, I'm going to miss off of either the left or the right edge. Right. Whereas if I look at something like a 6-millimeter Creedmoor that's shooting a bullet, you know, or even a 6.5 PRC, you know, I'm reducing that wind call, I'm reducing that margin of error down to five to six inches per mile an hour. So it's buying me forgiveness with my ability to read the speed of the wind. That's all that's happening. That, um, that's amazing. I never even looked at it like that, and it, it makes sense. It yeah, makes sense. And so, Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, like the the – the small dashers. It's funny because I've talked to, I've talked to guys, um, in the silhouette shooting community. I used to, I used to shoot archery with a guy in the silhouette community and he just laughs. He's an older gentleman. He's now in his seventies and he's still a hell of a shooter. Um, and he laughs. He's just like, ah, the dashers and all that stuff. He's like, ah, man, we were into that stuff years ago. We were into that stuff years ago. (laughs) And, he said, it's kind of funny that it's kind of coming around again. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it's, it is what it is. People are in this new, in this type of discipline, um, like the practical rifle discipline, um, these shooters are discovering the same stuff that the silhouette guys were doing years ago as well. Cause they want a lighter recoiling caliber or right. cartridge because they have to, they have to shoot that freehand, but they can't have such a light recoiling caliber and a light bullet that it doesn't knock over the targets because that's how they score that event. So the really, you know, um, yeah, there's a balance, right? There's a balance of performance versus recoil management. 
right? So, um, yeah, it's just kind of funny to, to watch all that come, come back around and, and, uh, you know, now, now the trend is, man, I'll tell you when I went to, when I went to combat, I carried a 22 pound bolt action rifle that did not have a detachable box magazine. Think about that for a second. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. Okay. So it's just, to me, it's kind of funny to see, and it was a 308 Winchester. That's just a product of, you know, the, the U S military being so far behind the times when it comes to, um, sniper weapon systems. And, you know, I, I don't really give a shit. They're still far behind the times. They're not there. And, and it's going to be a long time. Um, but it's cool to see the gap, the, the gap is definitely bridged between the civilian and the military community. And that's good. Um, for a long time, when I first started out in this game 20 years ago, there was no bridge. There was no bridge. It was, there was no connection between the military and the civilian shooting world. And I remember going to my very first competition, my very first rifle competition. It was in the year 2000 or it was 2001. And I thought, man, I'm a Marine sniper. I'm just going to, I'm going to go clean house. Like who, these old dudes, whatever. Yeah. Like 180 degrees, the opposite. I learned things that I was like, man, we don't know anything in compared to comparison to these guys over here that are, that are doing it as a hobby, right? right? It's their, it's their world outside of work. Right. And they know a lot more. They understand more about their rifles. They understand more about external ballistics. They understand more about wind. And quite frankly, they understand more about how to shoot all around. So that was humbling. That was very humbling to have that experience and just be like, wow, man, I don't know nearly as much. And that's really what kind of started me on the trajectory of finding that information outside what the military was going to give me because – if I just relied on the military to give it to me, um, I'd still be behind the power curve, right? right. It's you have, and that's something that I teach, preach to my law enforcement students as well. The military students as well. It's like, look, man, if you want to progress and you want to be at the head of your game, when it comes to this discipline and shooting, you have to search it out on your own. You are not going to be able to be the most proficient shooter if you spim- if you solely rely on, you know, what the training you're going to get from either a law enforcement department or a military unit. It's not going to happen. No, and, and, and that's true. And you talk to a lot of guys that are still active in the military and they come over and, and they shoot, you know, one of the competitions. And it's surprising to me how big of an eye-opener it is for them. You know, because as a civilian, you look at the military and you assume that they have the best of the best and they know the best of everything and they're the leaders in, in what we should be doing. And in fact, in many cases, not all, but many cases, it's the opposite. Yep, absolutely, man. Like, you know, a, a non-special operations sniper, especially now that we're transitioning to a peacetime uh, military environment, um Man, uh, I, dude, I remember I, I used to beg for ammo. Like we didn't get ammo to train. It was wow. just, yeah, it's, it's really hard. Like if you shot, if you shot your M40, um, I don't know, maybe a dozen times in a training year, you're doing good. 
that's surprising as hell to me. No, it's not. It, well, I know people that people that uh, don't understand the how the military works. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's a pretty profound realization once you finally <laughs> wrap your brain around it. You're yeah. like, what is going on here? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty scary, actually. Yeah, it's a. It's. I don't know, man. It's uh, one of those things. Every once in a while, I I wish that I could. You know, being outside the military, I wish that I could sometimes sit down with uh, with some of the decision makers and have like just a no shit adult conversation and ask some really serious questions without uh, without any ego being involved and saying, really, man, can you fundamentally look at this and, and give me a good answer as to why this is the way it is? Right. Yeah. Right. So I don't know. It's just uh, it's frustrating now being able to look at it from the outside in. Yeah, I I bet. I I mean, yeah, that's got to be very, I mean, frustrating is probably too easy of a word. Yeah, I mean, take a guess at the average time a uh, a law enforcement sniper gets to train a month. Take a step. I don't know, 15, 20 hours? Eight. Eight hours. So Eight one hours. day. And, much- and most of those guys, most of those guys that are on smaller departments pull dual duty between being an assaulter and a sniper. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's not enough. No, absolutely, it's absolutely not. not enough. So, and that's what I tell the guys. I'm like, look, if you really like you volunteered for this position, you raised your hand and you said, yep, I'm in, I want to do this. Okay, cool. Now you've just, what you've done is you've accepted an enormous amount of responsibility. Yeah. And you can't take that lightly. You made the decision to do something more than just a job. Right? It's Absolutely. not just a job. It's not. So you are going to have to seek out that information on your own. Like like being either like in my world it was either being a reconnaissance marine or being a sniper. That's not just a job, it's just really it's a lifestyle. Like it's really a lifestyle. And you get completely and totally immersed in it. Um, some people do and some people don't. Um, the majority of them do, though. The majority right. of them definitely it turns into a lifestyle and, and you pretty much live it, eat it, sleep it, and breathe it. And you develop a brotherhood. Yep. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. That actually segues way into my, my next question is I see – like when I see you at a match, I see you and Philip Vallejo always hanging out. You guys, I, I, I know you guys were both instructors at Pendleton. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you taught him or, or how it went or, or, or any of that. But yeah. competing with somebody that you have that bond with, does that make a difference? Oh, yeah. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, we we uh, we come from the same background. We got the, the same pedigree. Um, like, I, like Phil's not one of my students. Um, we're basically a generation apart. Okay. So, um, I got out in 2005 and I want to say Phil came in in 2007 or something like that. Um, but, uh, you know, we're kind of a generation apart, but we have the same pedigree in the sense that we, we think the same in a lot of levels with regard to how important, uh, we believe that the foundation of shooting skills is, and just uh, just uh, the level of attention to detail on things, and um, yeah, because that's beaten into your skull. Like that's 
those are those are lessons learned with pain and misery and suffering and right. like and they stick so yeah i mean i i like hanging out with phil because um you know we uh we think the same way and and we um we have the same thought process in a lot of things so is there a slight chance in the future and i this is seriously just an idea that came to head uh of seeing or taking a class with you and Phil together? I would not say that that's outside the realm of possibility. Because that's a class, you, you tell me that that class is available and I'm the first to sign up. I'm there <laughs> any day, wherever it is in the country, and, well, and I'm there. I appreciate that. It's, it's, um, uh, I, I wouldn't say that that is outside the realm of possibility. Well, we're going to have to see what we can do to, to make that happen. Sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And the other thing too, is like, I, I, have seen Phil teach and man, how many teachers are out there teaching this stuff nowadays? Lots. There are lots and lots and lots of people out there. Well, and There's a lot of people out there teaching this, but they're not teachers. Right. And that's the thing is, um, you know, I've, I've had people say everything from me, uh, from, ah, you know what? I can make a little bit of extra money on the side, teaching people how to do this. Um, and watching people administer instruction and you're not teaching, you're just regurgitating information, right? You're not making the efforts to really dig deep and to unpack all of the, all the boxes and get all the way down to the bottom of that box. Right. Right. Um, so that you have a thorough enough understanding of what's going on that you can not only understand it, but then communicate that and articulate it to somebody who doesn't. And that's what separates the good instructors from the regurgitators. Absolutely. And um, if you like take a serious look, man, there's, there's a lot of people out there giving, giving instruction and I'm not going to kick stones or I'm not going to throw rocks at anything like that. But if, if, if that doesn't resonate with you, then you got to find something or somebody that does, um, and somebody that's willing to take that time to break it down for you to understand it. I absolutely agree. That instructor, like I tell all of my students, the next for the next five days, like as an example in this backcountry course, for the next five days, the only stupid question is the one that you don't ask. If you don't ask it, that's a stupid ass thing to do yep. because we are here for you. Our sole purpose in life over the next five days is to communicate information to you. And Agreed. I can't think what you think, I can't see what you see, and I can't feel what you feel. So in those three realms you have to ask questions if you don't understand something. So that way I can help you understand it or figure out a way to reword it or use a different example, tell a story, whatever you got to do to get that information to sink in. So, and I teach really, we teach really systematically. And that's another thing why, you know, Phil and I gravitate towards one another is, is we teach things very systematically because we understand, look, man, I've had, 30 dudes on a firing line trying to get them zeroed with an old school unertal 10 power fixed scope. 
That is a max stress event as an instructor. <laughs> I bet. It's, it takes all day just to get 30 dudes zeroed because they don't have the training time. You know, they've probably never zeroed a gun before. And now you're trying to get them to understand these concepts. And if you don't do it in a systematic way, you're just going to crush yourself as an instructor. Right. It's just not going to happen. 30 different personalities, 30 oh. different ways to learn, right? Well, and they're all getting screamed at. They're all getting yelled at. They don't want to get dropped. You know, they don't want to get singled out for doing something stupid. So then they go do, they go bear crawl up and down a hill for an hour. Um, so there's all, there's all these blocks, right, that you have to circumnavigate to get the information to them. And so you have to be a very approachable person. You have to be a really mellow person. You have to be somebody that's approachable and, and you know, people can't be afraid to come talk to you. And I, I think, you know, those last two key points about being approachable and, and easy to communicate with are definitely key. Um, I've had instruction in, in several different uh, disciplines of firearms and different uh, activities that I've done. And you automatically gravitate to those that you learn the best from. And you have those instructors that just want to be in your face and they want to yell. And they're very um, loud with nothing yeah. to say. Yeah. Like students tell me all the time, they're like, you know, wow, you're really patient. And I, and I, I ask them, so let me ask you, like, have you been to other courses where like – talk to me about this. And they're like, yeah, man, like, like getting yelled at and, you know, instructors like losing their patience and not wanting to deal with my questions. And I'm like, man, that's, that's, that's kind of shitty. Kind of, that's shitty. <laughs> that's, that's and and shitty. I say that cause that's the way I teach. I lose patience quick because I don't understand why other people don't understand, right. which is mm -hmm. why I don't instruct. If somebody asks me, hey, how do I do this? You mm -hmm. know what? Kaylin's right there. He'll tell you the exact best way that you should be doing that because yeah. I'm not the best person to ask. <laughs> and, you know, and the other thing is, am I the best shooter out there? I don't know. Probably not. But that doesn't matter because I know I have the confidence that I can communicate this information to you better than anybody else. Right. Which is important. So, yeah. It's and, the most important part. You know, and with regard to that, it's like, you know, I know like a lot of people in this current sport, like they have a nine to five. And so their off time is dedicated solely and completely to, you know, having fun and, and playing in this sport. Right. Whereas like me, it's the other, it's the other way around. Like this is my job. And so I want to go jump out of airplanes when I've got free time. You know, I want to go. <laughs> I want to go climb a mountain, um, or I want to go into the backcountry and go looking for looking for deer, or elk, or bears. And so I think that's that's a that's a big difference too. You know, with uh, with regard to the competitions, I, I go to I go there to connect with shooters. I go there to connect with myself. There you go. So earlier in the show, you had mentioned that later this year you're going to open up your education back towards civilians in the competition yep. world. Yep. When approximately is that and how do people find out about that? Yeah. So we're going to be, um, I should be releasing, uh, the, the upcoming schedule within the next uh, couple of weeks. 
And you guys can find that information uh, either on my social media feeds. Um, uh, we have a Facebook page for Kalinsky Consulting and Training and also the website, kalinskyconsulting.com. Um, you're going to see classes come up on there in the next probably couple, couple three weeks. And um, uh, I'm pretty excited about it. I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to what uh, – I've got some cool stuff up my sleeve that I'm not really going to quite drop yet. But um, uh, it's, I think it's going to be interesting, and I think it's going to uh, help the shooting community get training a little bit more, uh, more accessible. Right. So, and um, I'm going to go back to teaching classes throughout the United States, um, not only just here in Washington. Uh, the way that I did it at Magpul was like, hey, we'd always go to Florida this time of year, or we'd always go to um, – you know, Arkansas this time of year, or we'd always go to Texas. And so um, I'm going to get back to doing that. So expect to see classes come up around the United States and, um, and also here in Washington state. Awesome. Awesome. And as always, you know, whatever we can do to help support that and your profession, your career, your, your passions, we're always here for Man, I appreciate that, Travis. And, and you know, actually having having the time and opportunity to speak with you when we were in Washington last time, um, I'm I'm just really glad to see uh, that you are at the helm here because uh, I know that you're you're fundamentally a good person. You have uh, great energy, and you know you're you're looking to uh, do the best thing for this sport. And I think that's that's so commendable. And I appreciate you. Well, thank you very much, and the the feelings are absolutely one hundred percent mutual. So Sweet, I can't wait um, to uh, take a a legitimate class from you rather than just the at the match pointers in class. But, sure, uh, yeah, we um, anytime, um, you know, and uh, just hit me up. Just just let me know. Love to have you out. Absolutely, brother. So we're about at the end of our show, our time wise, but there's always. Uh, question I ask everybody on the show at the end and that is before you go to a match what are three things that you must have and I'm not talking about rifle equipment I'm talking about things that people might call superstitious like lucky underwear or gummy bears do you have a vice or anything of that nature that you must have or do before a match I don't know man um I used to, I used to dip. I used to, I dipped for like almost 15 years. I don't do that anymore. So I really don't have any <laughs> big time vices. Um, I don't really subscribe to that. And the only reason I don't subscribe to that is because I just, I don't always want to have to depend on having something to be able to perform well. It's good. It's a good point. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's uh, just like, ah, you know, if I if I forget something, it's just like, mm, okay, well, how am I going to improvise with that? But I know that's um I've all, I've listened to a bunch of your shows and I know I knew that this question was coming, but I hate to say <laughs> I hate to be the Debbie Downer and be like, uh, yeah, I really don't have anything. Um, I really don't. Like there's nothing Aside from my normal kit, right, that I carry, right. I've got my kit pretty much dialed, right, as to way as to the way I want it, even the way I pack it, so that I can get at things easy. Um, I guess I'm really OCD when it comes to that sort of thing. But well, um, muscle memory, right? Knowing I'm not exactly where it is when you need it. Yeah. Yep. And I guess I'm kind of, uh, I guess I'm kind of not interesting in that realm because I don't have anything <laughs> superstitious to to, uh, to talk about. 
<laughs> All right, then I'm going to ask you a different question. Okay, cool. Shoot. Your 100% honest thought on Philip's new wardrobe. Okay, well, he's <laughs> number one. He's he's a millennial, so we got to give him that, right? Yes. We got to give him a break there. Um, but uh, he's always got something different, and that's just his style. Like uh, the rubber ducky shirt that that he wore, and um, I just saw another picture. Um, he's got a, a pig whisperer shirt. Yes. Um, signature pig trainer. That's cool stuff, man. That that's cool stuff, and. Um, we didn't think of that stuff when I was, I didn't think of that shit when I was his age. Like I didn't, I didn't care about that, but right. good on him. I think it's funny. And it just, it just goes to show that Philip is such an approachable guy and he's just a, he's a nice human being. He's a good person and he's doing this for all, he's doing this for all the right reasons because he really does care. Yes. And Both his joking, his joking mindset is just, um, his laid back personality um, and I think that, uh, that's also why I kind of gravitate towards them. So, um, I really don't like people that take themselves too serious. It's really hard for me now to, <laughs> it's just like, man, man, dude, just like, just mellow out a little bit. So, just like when we were filming you in Washington, we played the rubber ducky song while yeah. he was wearing the shirt, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just like, have fun with it. Just have fun. And, and uh, life's too it, short to have a stick up your man, ass all the no, time. No kidding. Right. It's like, um, our time here is very limited. It's very limited and we really have to understand that concept and just live, live every day as if, uh, as if it wasn't, as if you're not going to have another one. Right. So absolutely. Yeah, man. And on that note, Kaylin, it has truly been a pleasure. Uh, this show, I mean, we've been on the air for just about an hour now and it feels like it's been 20 minutes. I mean, there's yeah. so much more I want to ask you and go through. Um, but we're just gonna have to save that for another time when we can sure. get together. Anytime, man. I I, uh, I I enjoy chatting. I really do enjoy the podcasting thing because uh, I enjoy just having conversations like this. Likewise, and maybe we could set it up. What's the next match you're going to? Um, I'm gonna go to Rock Lake. Okay. I am um, going to also go to uh, Defy the Distance in August. I'm gonna be at Blue Ridge as again as well at Jake's match. Um, I think there's four matches left this year, like in the fall that I have room for in the schedule. And I'm, I'm also hoping that I can come out to the finale in December. Awesome. So we need to talk about that too. Yes, we do. We have, uh, some stuff to discuss on that on a separate note, mm -hmm. but, uh, maybe at rock Lake cause I know Phillips going to be there. Are you going to be at his Wyoming match or you're, Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm not going to shoot it. I'm going to help him run it. Um, okay. but I will be there. So maybe at that time, the three of us, you, Philip, and I, we can all do like a little, uh, you know, roundtable oh, podcast, cool. you know, have a drink or two, eat some, some steak, maybe some of that yeah. awesome deer you can bring back up if you have any left. Sure, <laughs> man, absolutely, I do. Yeah. Hell and yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll just, uh, you know, have a good old time. Sounds good, man. I appreciate your time, Travis. Thanks for having me on. It's, uh, it's, it's humbling to be able to come out and, and talk to an audience of so many people. That's really cool. Likewise, brother, I truly appreciate it. I wish you the best of luck in all of your adventures and your uh, endeavors and whatever we can do. Like I said, we're here. Support you 100%. I appreciate that, man. And uh, cool. Anytime, in any way that I can help the NRL, any any way possible, I, I, I want to be be there as well. So, Thank you, sir. And Awesome. For all of our listeners, we appreciate you taking the time to uh, listen to what we had to say today. 
Until next time, you guys be safe, keep shooting, and we'll see you at the range. Take care. All right. Cheers.